was working here at the church several weeks ago one day, and around 12.30, my stomach was telling me that there was an immediate crisis at hand, and I'd better deal with it. It was lunchtime. So I responded to my stomach in an overly dramatic way, grabbed my coat, and headed out the door to meet this life-threatening need. Being the multitasker that I am, I decided I will get two errands done at the same time, and there was a a resource that I needed to pick up at uh, Lifeway Christian Bookstore in Burnsville. And so I headed over that way, determined that I would make this a combined trip. I would meet both physical, physical and spiritual needs. So just to the west of Lifeway in that strip mall in Burnsville is that high-class dining establishment called the Old Country Buffet. (laughs) And besides the fact that they were conveniently located, uh, they do have a good salad bar at OCB. And so I stopped at Lifeway and purchased the resources that I needed and proceeded to Old Country to get a table and enjoy some roughage while looking over the new Bible commentary I had just purchased. And I made my first trip to the salad bar and returned to my table and reached for my glasses case to pull out my reading glasses. And yes, I do have reading glasses. And yes, I am too vain to wear them when I preach. So my sermon notes are printed in size 14 font. (laughs) And that's not a joke. And on one of the trips to Lifeway, I purchased a Bible that was found in the giant print section. Not large print. No, I did not get that wrong. There is giant print. Large print is a misnomer. It is not large enough. So there you go. Well, I opened up my glasses case to discover that I had grabbed the case but not put my glasses in them. So there would be no previewing of my new resource that day. I was frustrated but resigned to just look around at anything and nothing while I grazed on my salad. And little did I know that that's what God had planned for me all along. I was facing a table where there was a young woman sitting there by herself. She was probably in her early 20s, slim, stylishly dressed. She had this really cool winter hat on. But there was something strange about what I was seeing in front of me. There were three massive plates of food at her table and three drinks two chocolate milks, and a Coke. And during the time that she sat there, another plate of food was acquired and consumed, as was dessert and three more drinks. It was an enormous amount of food. But something else happened during that time. She was gone twice for lengthy periods of time in the restroom. And I realized what was going on. She was purging. She was bulimic. And I wondered what was happening in her life that had brought her to that point. I wondered if anyone knew what she was going through. I wondered if anyone had ever told her how much she was loved and accepted by the one who created her. I wondered whose neighbor she was. I wondered who was going to tell her about Jesus or if anybody ever would. Sometime later that week, my wife handed me a section of the newspaper that had an article on one of the most disturbing things that I've ever read here. I still can't stop thinking about it. It was an article about something in St. Paul called a wet house. 
It's a place where alcoholics can go when they themselves and everyone else has given up on them. And they go there to drink and be drunk without any interference, no intervention. That's what they go there to do. And the article featured uh, several individuals who were there, including a man who is slowly killing himself by staying drunk on mouthwash every day. This was the deepest sense of hopelessness that I've ever felt for this society that we live in right here. How can we let this happen? And what does this do to God's heart when he sees this? Some of the material that I'm using in this sermon today comes from a lesson that I wrote for our high school students a couple years ago and taught it at an edge on Sunday night. And I shared some statistics with them about the state of their world. And I want to quickly share those with you as well. Let this sink in as I read. In the U.S., there are 72 million children under the age of 18. 33% live in a home without a biological father. 33% of all children born in the U.S. are born out of wedlock. 50% of teens have tried an illicit drug by the time they finish high school. 10,000 teenagers a day get infected with an STD, over 3 million a year, one every eight seconds. 90% of 8 to 16-year-olds have viewed porn online. Each year, almost 750,000 women aged 15 to 19 become pregnant, and 200,000 of those pregnancies will end in abortion. 19.3% of high school students have seriously considered killing themselves. 1.2 million high school students will drop out this year, and two-thirds of the Christian students in high school will walk away from God by the time they graduate college. Do these statistics have any effect on you whatsoever? What about the story of the young woman in the restaurant? What about the existence of the wet house? What are you thinking right now? What are you feeling Is it something more than just, come on, Paul, I came here to be encouraged. What are you doing? What's happening in your heart? What if I told you that the woman in the restaurant is your neighbor? What would that do to you? I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, these verses will be up on the screen. Matthew chapter 9. Jesus had been very active in his ministry to this point. He'd been teaching and preaching and healing, casting out demons. He had called some men to follow him. He had performed some miracles like the one that we talked about last month in our series on fear, where he made a storm be still. So it says this in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Matthew 9, 35 and 36. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. How did Jesus respond to what he saw? By judging the people, right? By shaking his head and walking away pointing out to his disciples that they'd better be careful so that they don't end up 
like one of those people. He had all kinds of object lessons right there in front of him to use to teach the disciples how to avoid the wide road. He could have gotten mad. After all, he was going to suffer because of their stupidity and selfishness. He was going to pay for their mistakes. But Matthew writes that Jesus had compassion on them. And he gives the reason why Jesus had compassion on them. He had compassion on them because he saw them as beings that he created. And, as, and these beings that he created were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Really? Harassed and helpless? Yes, that's what it says. Harassed and helpless. He saw sheep that had lost their way. It says that he saw them as harassed and helpless because he could see into their condition. And what he saw was potential for redemption, not a reason for judgment. Jesus didn't see reasons for punishment. He saw hope for restoration. And in spite of the fact that those same crowds were full of examples of bad decisions and selfish motives and sinful desires, he saw them as harassed and helpless. Harassed by an enemy who prowls around seeking those whom he would like to devour. Harassed because they didn't yet know the way out of their condition. They were lost. Harassed by a fallen world and its ruler who threw pain, sorrow, sickness, and peril at them daily. Helpless to do anything about the attacks because their own power was no match for that of evil. Harassed by the pressure put on them by their society, even by their religious rulers. Helpless because they didn't have a hero. One who was poised to come to their rescue. They were on their own. So Jesus responded with compassion. He would not, he could not turn away. And ultimately he responded by doing two very significant things. First of all, he died for them. He gave his life in exchange for theirs. He laid down his own life so that they could pick up theirs. He died to give them life. He died to give them the forgiveness they needed to come back to God and be restored to what they were created to have and to be. And he did something else, something that we as his children really don't give the attention that it deserves. It's right here in this passage. Look at verse 37 of Matthew 9. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Verse 38. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, before we get too proud of ourselves thinking about all the time we spend asking God to send out more missionaries, let's keep reading. Go to verse 1 of chapter 10. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Then guess what he does? All of chapter 10 is about the instructions he gave his disciples as he sent them out. Not instructions about how to pray that God would send more people out to reach the lost sheep. Instructions about being one of those called to go and reach the lost sheep. Now can you imagine the scene? Jesus had a compassionate moment as he looks over the crowds, harassed and helpless as they were. And then he turns to his disciples and, and he tells them to ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. And the disciples, I'm sure, readily agreed and started praying for more workers for the harvest field. And then he says, Simon, Andrew, James, John, 
come here. Your prayers have been answered already, and you're the answer to that prayer. At the end of his time on this earth, Jesus restated this calling, and we all know what he said in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. It says this, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And we can clearly see in the book of Acts that his calling went far beyond those 11 men that he was speaking to before he left. It was a call that would stay current until his return. It was a call for all his children, for all his disciples. It was and is a call for you and me. And it is the calling of Chapel Hill Church. Jesus died for the lost sheep of this world and he recruited a team to reach them and you and I are that team and we are not going to ignore that call. The world is full of sheep, harassed and helpless, in desperate need of a shepherd and Jesus said, do something about it. So we will. As the elders of the church and I have been looking at where God has us headed over the coming years, um, this is the piece that kept coming into focus for me. And, and thank you for the prayers for yesterday. We had a great day. And rather than staying up all night and rewriting my sermon, you'll hear about it next Sunday. Um, there are lots of things that came out of it, and I will share those with you. There's a lot that we as a church are doing really well. Um, our Sunday morning experiences have really progressed uh, we have a great sense of family here, and many people have testified to that. We have a thriving missions program, which has grown and strengthened dramatically in the last couple of years. Uh, we've expanded our reach through mission work, and, and the team that just got back from Haiti, which you'll also hear from next week, is clear evidence of what God is doing here in our midst. We have so much to celebrate and to thank God for. We're not perfect, but we are doing well. We are flourishing in many ways. But the personal witness piece is an area in which we need to come before God right now and ask for his transforming work in our lives. We are the light of this world, each one of us. We all have opportunities before us to share with others the way that they can find their shepherd. And I dream of the day when we hear regular stories in our midst of how God's love is reaching his creation through the impact of every one of our lives. And this is a scary prospect for many people, myself included. It's going to take risk, courage, humility, and overcoming some of the fears that so many of us have identified over the last month. Many of us will be rejected, even persecuted. Some will be ignored or ridiculed. We will fail at times. But lost sheep will find their shepherd. And that shepherd will rejoice as he carries them home. Whatever the risk, whatever the fear, this is worth it. So where do we begin? Well, I believe that we begin by activating something that we already have. It's something that we've talked about recently. It is something called the mind of Christ. And this mind and heart 
have been demonstrated for us right here in the passage that we've looked at today. In Jesus' mind, he saw people all around him that were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus connected in so many ways with the sheep analogy. Try to picture in your mind what sheep without a shepherd look like. What are they missing that a shepherd could provide? A shepherd's role is to provide for the sheep. He provides them with food, water, security. Without their shepherd, the sheep are left to fend for themselves. Without their shepherd, the sheep are left exposed and vulnerable, exposed and vulnerable to their environment and to predators. Without their shepherd, the sheep will not find adequate sources of sustenance or be able to live at peace. Do you view the people around you this way? Or do you assume that they have access to everything they need because of what you see on the surface of their lives? How much effort do you put into seeing below the surface of your neighbor's life? I think if we do take a look below the surface, we're going to see people that are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. In this church family, we've been facing some hardship lately in the form of cancer. And as different conversations around that hardship have taken place, I've been making a mental note of of how many times the conversations I've had have included comments that go something like this. I can't imagine people having to face something like this without God in their lives. But people are facing things like this without God in their lives every day. All around us, people are facing tremendous obstacles without their shepherd. All around us, people are harassed by their environment, and their environment is a fallen world in which Paul writes that Satan is the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And every moment of every day, that temporary ruler is throwing at them circumstances and influences to keep them from being nourished and given what, what they need to flourish. All around us, people are being harassed by physical hardship, by economic hardship, by relational turmoil, by psychological torment, by global unrest, political insecurity, loneliness, feelings of insignificance, a hunger that they cannot satisfy, a void that nothing seems to be able to fill. They are harassed nonstop because that is the mission of their enemy and ours. And Jesus Christ could see that. Can we? Or do we not allow ourselves to look below the surface? Do we look at the people all around us, the crowds that Christ spoke of, and see only people that are doing fine? Do we see their level of comfort as being a sign that they are fine? Do we see that there are churches everywhere and assume that people have that option and and are choosing to ignore God so we write them off as wrong? Well, people in Christ's day had all the options that we do. People in Christ's day had a lot going for them. He could have easily chosen to write them off as people who have already decided to reject God, but he didn't. He looked below the surface to their hearts and he saw lost sheep. Jesus saw deep eternal needs that were not being met in their lives. He saw pain that was not being healed. He saw questions that were not being answered. He saw hunger that was not being satisfied. He saw thirst that was not being quenched. He saw influences in their society that were pushing them further and further from the God that they so desperately needed. And in the midst of all this, he did not judge. He 
stated himself in John 3.17 that he did not come to judge, he came to save. The people that Christ saw in those crowds were harassed and in need of being delivered from that harassment. Think about how you respond when you hear that somebody is being harassed. Well, as a society, we've stepped up our efforts to prevent harassment in the workplace, haven't we? We've stepped up our efforts to protect children from being harassed. We passionately defend our own rights to live free of harassment of any kind. But is that the extent of our involvement in this cause when all around us people are being harassed by our enemy? See it for what it is. They are harassed. See people the way Jesus sees them. Open your heart to understand what's going on in theirs. They are harassed and they are helpless. One of the things that you'll rarely hear people admit is that they're helpless. It is so anti-American to be helpless. We are determined to show that we are not helpless ourselves, so much so that we wouldn't dare see someone else as helpless. So we ignore each other's condition. And what a great deception that is. As followers of Christ, we much, must reach that place of utter dependence on God. Even Jesus said that without the Father, he could do nothing. Jesus referred to us as branches on the vine in John chapter 15. We draw everything that we need to live from the vine. Without that vine, we would die. We'd be helpless. The Apostle Paul got this, and he wrote of boasting in his own weaknesses. He knew that he was helpless without the Spirit of God. So we get this. We admit that we're helpless, and we count on Christ to be our everything. But then we look at our neighbor, and we think to ourselves, they have everything they need. So back to the sheep analogy. A sheep without a shepherd is helpless. A flock of sheep that has lost their shepherd will die. They will be unprotected and vulnerable. Their resources will run out soon, and they will not know where to go to get what they need. They need a shepherd. They need a savior. And it's time for a heart check right here. Are you struggling right now with the temptation to place blame on the lost sheep in your neighborhood, in your workplace, at your school? Are you thinking, they know what's right? They know where to find the answers. Why don't they just do what's right? It's easy to do that in a land where we have so much access to the church. They're not helpless, right? I want you to consider something as you think about your neighbors and friends that fall into the sheep without a shepherd category. Uh, I want to use a tree to show you something right now. Uh, this is a picture coming up here of an acacia tree. Uh, it's a tree that I am very familiar with. Uh, I've worked with this tree a lot in Africa. This is an acacia tree, and, and it has some amazing characteristics that make it the kind of tree that we use in development around the world. And so here we were in the desert in Senegal, and what are you going to plant that's actually going to survive in the desert? Well, the acacia tree is one of those trees that can survive in the desert. It has this crazy thing called a tap root. It's one main dominant root that just goes straight down instead of a whole bunch of roots that go out. And so right away, this root goes down and it gets past that hot, dry surface of the soil down to where it can find water below the surface. And so it survives. It's tough. It can take a beating. It can make it through nine months of dry season in the desert. It has all kinds of cool properties to it. The leaves are used for all kinds of medicinal purposes. 
the oil and the seeds can be used as a pesticide so that people don't have to buy it to protect their crops. They use the seeds from the acacia tree. It has all kinds of uses. It's got these fine little leaves on it that are all lined up on, on the branches. Um, look it over. Look at the shape of the tree. Study its features a little bit because one day you're going to see a picture of this tree and you're going to go, hey, that's an acacia tree and you're going to teach somebody else about it. You're going to be the only congregation in America that knows what an acacia tree is and you're going to see a picture of one and you're going to tell somebody that's an acacia tree and it has this cool taproot and it's a super tough tree. Maybe you're going to be on, on some travel somewhere in the world and you're going to see an acacia tree and you're going to go, hey, did you know what this is? And you're going to be the genius. You're going to be the expert who can tell people all about the benefits of the acacia tree. But there's only one little problem here. That's not an acacia tree. That's a neem tree. You just got lied to. Now, would you have taken the time to go and research this tree to see if I was telling you the truth? No, probably not. You would have taken the expert's word and acted on it. You would have been fine with that. How would you have ever known the real truth? You'd be helpless. Because what you had been told was a lie. And you didn't have any reason to doubt the lie that you had been told. People all around us have been lied to their whole lives. They've been lied to at school by their teachers, the experts who told them that they, the world came about by some ridiculous process called evolution. They've been lied to by the experts on the talk shows who told them that the answers to the questions they have can be found inside of them because they're their own gods. They've been lied to by the experts who have told them that believing in God is just a crutch for the weak and mythology at best. And they have no reason to doubt the experts. There's always another expert to answer that next question that arises with some new lie. And lost sheep lead lost sheep around on their journey to death. Harassed along the way and helpless to do anything about it. Jesus says, you go. Point the sheep to the shepherd that they're missing. They're not likely to find them on their own. Oh, and by the way, he says, you're going to love doing this. There is no more meaningful calling in life. Are we going to respond to that calling? That's the calling that we, as God's people, the sheep of his pasture, have been given. And what an appropriate way to reach lost sheep. Send out sheep that have been found to point the lost sheep to the way home, the way to their shepherd. I want us to remember just two words this morning. There's much more to come on this. But just two words for now. And those two words are heart and history. And when Jesus saw the crowds, he saw that they were harassed and helpless. 
to see the people around us the way that Christ sees them, we need to see below the surface to their hearts. At that level, I believe that we will see that people are being harassed. Their hearts are not being left alone by the one who wants to devour them. He wants to see them die. You've experienced that harassment yourself. We just talked about one form of harassment, fear. We, the sheep of God's pasture, face fear. And that fear is one form of the harassment that we're all vulnerable to. So what makes us think that the sheep who do not have a shepherd don't face that harassment as well? They do, and many, many more forms of harassment. Go deeper and find out what's happening in your neighbor's heart, in your coworker's heart, in your fellow student's heart. Second word I want you to remember is history. You will gain a much deeper understanding of where your neighbor's at if you'll just listen to their history. And I don't mean opening a conversation with a question, well, how have you been lied to in your life? Just listen to their story. Listen to their story. Understand where people are coming from. You'll learn a lot. Don't look for that teachable moment just yet to set them straight. That moment will come. Just listen. You'll be amazed at how people respond when they're facing somebody who really cares. We'll talk about being ready for that moment another time. Listen to their hearts and listen to their history. Let God create moments of impact for us as he uses you to point his lost sheep back to their shepherd. Your chance to share your story, your history will come. Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were all sick, persecuted, or poor? No. Because they were harassed and helpless. He saw sheep, lost sheep without a shepherd. And when he saw them, he did something about it. He died for them to restore them. And he recruited a team to be available to reach those sheep throughout history. You and I have been recruited for that team. The question is then, will we be obedient to that calling? This morning we're going to celebrate half of what Jesus did when he saw the crowds and had compassion on them. We're going to celebrate the fact that Jesus had compassion on them by laying down his life for them. We we're in the crowds that he saw. And we have received that forgiveness that was made possible by his death and resurrection. So we're going to remember now through the sacrament of communion. I'm going to ask the elders to come now and Matt is going to come and play as we prepare to participate. Jesus went to the cross for this lost sheep. And I celebrate that fact today because I have been reunited with my shepherd. Jesus gave his body for you and for me. He allowed his blood to be shed for you and for me. And in this simple symbol, we remember what he did. We remember that through this selfless act of salvation, we are now the sheep of God's pasture. And as you come this morning, come with great thanksgiving for that gift of a place in God's fold, God's flock. And I'm going to ask you to do something different this morning as you come. 
I'm going to ask you to take a moment before you come to recall someone you know that currently falls in the category of a sheep without a shepherd. Maybe it's a friend of yours, maybe it's a coworker, a relative. And I want you to ask God to give you the mind of Christ towards that individual. I want you to ask God to fill your heart with compassion for that person. Ask him to allow you to see them as a sheep without a shepherd, harassed and helpless. And as you come to celebrate the gift of Jesus Christ, I want you to imagine the day when that person will also come to receive and remember and celebrate. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for the work that you have done in our lives. I want to thank you for saving us. I want to thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. I want to thank you that his body was given and went through so much for us. That his blood was shed on our behalf for the forgiveness of our sins. We have so much to be thankful for. You have given so much for our sake. You have given so much to see us, who were once lost sheep, brought home, reunited with our shepherd for eternity. And we thank you for that. And this morning we remember this precious, amazing, unbelievable, inconceivable gift that you have given for us. But we know, Father, from your word and from the life of your son that it doesn't stop there. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we are not off the hook when it comes to going and making disciples. We don't have to go around the world to do it. We don't have to just pay someone else to do it and be satisfied with that. We are called to be the ones that point lost sheep back to their shepherd. And well, we so easily see the need around us in many countries that are impoverished, we often fail to see the need that is right here in front of us. And we know, Father, that not everyone has, has been called to be an evangelist, but every one of us has been called to be light of the world, and there is no light that is not seen in the darkness. I pray, Lord, for everyone here that you would lay on our hearts and minds right now at least one individual. And as we come, that we would be able to picture that person, that lost sheep, finding their shepherd and being restored, brought back into fellowship with you. Father, give us the courage, the strength, the boldness, and the humility to be used by you to point lost sheep home. Give us the eyes to see beneath the surface of those around us to their hearts. Give us the perspective of Christ. Erase the judgment that comes so quickly for us. Let us get down to that heart that has compassion 
that heart of yours that is broken every day as you see millions and millions of people roaming around without their shepherd, being harassed constantly by their enemy and helpless to do anything about it. Father, give us a picture of your heart. Implant in us that kind of compassion. Awaken us the spirit of God that will do something about what we see. We come now to celebrate the gift that we have received. Help us to come with a sense of determination that says, freely I have received and so freely I will give. I will turn around and make this available to those that I can touch, to those that you have put in my life, in my path, for a reason. Use us, Father. Break us to the point where we are all willing to see the crowds and have compassion on them and respond to what they're facing every day. We come and celebrate, Lord, and we come and commit. We do all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ.